I want to welcome you to week two of our vision series, uh, where we're unpacking um, some verses in Isaiah that we just really feel uh, God has given us as a, a kind of launch pad, really, for this year. And I'll just read them again before I go into the message. Isaiah 54 says this, Sing, O childless woman, you may have this, shout for joy, O barren one, she who has not given birth. Break forth into joyful shouting and rejoice, she who has not gone in to labor. For the sons of the desolate one will be more numerous than the sons of the married woman. And then it says this, and this is probably our key verse for these next couple of months, actually enlarge the site of your tent to make space for more children. Stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare them. Lengthen your tent ropes. Make your pegs firm in the ground, for you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will take possession of nations and inhabit deserted cities. And if you were here last week, Hannah unpacked this, these, these verses exceptionally well. And if you, if you weren't here, please do go back and watch it. You can catch it on our YouTube channel or you can listen to our podcast. But I just want to highlight some key words there. We've got there enlarge, stretch out, do not spare, lengthen, spread out. And this was a prophetic word that Isaiah gave to the nation. And the promise here is that increase is coming. Increase is coming. It's on its way. There will be more children. Sing, O barren woman. Sing in faith because more children are coming. Church, we need to start singing in faith because more children are coming. And God says this to Isaiah. He says, listen, more children are coming, but you need to be prepared. You need to be ready because, listen to this, they're not children who grew up in Jerusalem. They're not children who grew up in your culture. They're not children who grew up the way you grew up. These are children who will have grown up in a different culture. They'll have grown up in a different way to you. Church, the people who are going to walk through this door have grown up in a totally different culture to the one we know. They are living in a totally different culture to the one we know. Their values are different. The way they look at life is different. Their language is going to be different. Their experiences are going to be different. And so there's a call on us to prepare for the increase by growing our culture, by growing ourselves. And it's a personal one for all of us. And we really felt over this summer as we, as we prayed and said, God, what, what, what's your plan for us this year? What's your vision for us this year? And sometimes, you know, Churches will announce, okay, we're going to do a mass evangelism strategy or, or we're going to do a huge mission to the Congo. And we just really felt, you know what, God said, listen, there's expansion coming. The increase is coming. But, but God's saying, you need to stretch yourself. You need to increase yourself. So our vision, can I tell you this year, isn't mass evangelism necessarily. It isn't to go out on a huge mission. Actually, it's a self-expansion strategy. That we grow ourselves. Jesus has said, God has said, the children are coming. But we need to prepare ourselves. And I just want to encourage you as we start this new church year, I want to, I want to encourage you that, if, that this, I want it to be the year where you really lean, lean into God. Lean into God with all your faith life. Not just kind of an average faith life, but actually lean all in to God. I promise you this, this will be the best year of your life if it's the best year of your life spiritually. I promise you, in a year's time, if you say, okay, God, I am all in 
this will be the best year of your life. I promise. C.S. Lewis once said this, if you aim at heaven, you'll get earth thrown in. If you aim at earth, you'll get neither. Let's aim at heaven. And we'll get earth thrown in. It's easy, it's easy to aim for earth, but you'll never get it. If you aim for heaven, you get it thrown in. You know, whatever we starve dies. I don't know if you know that. If you starve something, it dies. Whatever you feed will thrive. And I want to just encourage you or challenge you that if you're feeding the culture of the world in your life, that's what's going to thrive. And if you're starving your spiritual man, that's going to die. And it's why our mission is to revive hearts because there's so many people in this world who they've got eternity planted in their souls, but they've allowed it to die because they've been feeding the world. And they've killed off that spirit of God in the church. Wants, God wants us to revive that in our community. But it starts with us. And so as we go into this year, our, our vision is, is this, that, the, that actually everything we do falls around these words of expansion, that we dig deeper into the word of God. That we live higher lives, going to those high places with God, and we reach wider that we're a missional people. And over the next few, three weeks, we're going to unpack these three phrases. But actually, over the year, these phrases are going to keep coming back. Because everything we do, whether on a Sunday, on a Tuesday, on a Wednesday, will fall into one of these three categories where we're getting into the Word of God. There'll be an emphasis on prayer, an emphasis on personal holiness, an emphasis on worship, an emphasis on mission. And I want to start today with this title, Dig Deeper, or Go Deeper. Isaiah said this, make your pegs firm in the ground. You know what? A tent needs a strong base. I am not a camper, but I know one thing. If you don't peg your tent down, it's going to blow away. But if we place our pegs deep in the word of God, Paul says this, we won't be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We'll not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies that sound like the truth. Instead, we'll speak the truth in love. Growing in every way more and more like Christ. Church, we need to know the truth of God's word. And to know the truth, we need to spend time in it. And this is a really simple thing, church. I want you to love your Bibles again. I know many of you do, but, but the, the, from my heart, I want you to love your Bibles again. Bring your Bibles to church. You know, there used to be the days you'd say, you know, everyone turn to 2 Corinthians 3 and you'd get this. Now we say, turn to 2 Corinthians 3. Thank you, the one person. And I know some of you got it on your phones or your tablets. I get that. But do you know what? I, I just love a paper Bible. And there's something special about a paper Bible. I just love it. And I, just, I say this before. You wouldn't go swimming without a swimming kit. You wouldn't pl go and play golf without balls. You wouldn't boil an egg without water. And I know it sounds daft, but that's, that's for me, that's how essential I think the Word of God is. That you, you, you can't do life without it. I, 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 can I tell you how powerful the Bible is? The book you're holding, if you're holding one, it's the best-selling book in the world and has been every year for, since it was published. You know, 20 million Bibles are bought every year. 20 million Bibles. That's six Bibles every 10 seconds. Every 10 seconds, six Bibles are bought 
According to the Guinness Book of Records, they, they, they reckon it's about 7 billion copies of the Bible have been bought since records started. It was written over a period of 1,600 years in over a dozen countries on three continents by 40 people in three different languages. And I love this. It all points to Jesus. That the, these people in different places, in different times, in different languages can write something and every word of it points to Jesus. That's something special. Luke says this, that Jesus took them all. He was talking to some Pharisees and he said, he took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. It all points to Jesus. This is not just a book. This is a holy book. You know, some Bibles, they'll, they'll call it the Holy Bible. It's set apart. It's ordained. It's God's breathed. It's, it's God's love letter to us that points us to Jesus. And can I tell you, if God has set this apart, then it should be set apart in our lives. Church, love your Bibles again. Love your Bibles. This is, this is my Bible, surprisingly. Hannah bought me this, um, the, the Christmas we got married. And, and this Bible goes everywhere with me. If, if, I'm, if I'm preaching somewhere else, this Bible goes with me. If I'm going to an event or a conference, this Bible goes with me. I'll take this on holiday with me. And I'm not joking. I will take this on holiday with me. I'll read this on the plane. I'll read it on the beach. I'll read it by the pool. I'll read it by the, on the balcony. This Bible goes everywhere with me because I love my Bible. I remember before we got married, Hannah's bridesmaids were arranging the Hindu, and, and, and I don't know if you've ever done this. They, they send you this list of questions that they're going to ask then Hannah on the day, and she's got to guess your answers. And they said, okay, well, you know, if you had to spend a year on a desert island, what three things would you take? And I said, well, my iPod. Anyone remember iPods? And I said, I'll take my iPod, and I can't remember what the other, I genuinely can't remember what the other thing was. I said, I'll take my iPod, something else, and my Bible. Do you know what? It killed that Hindu. <laughs> but I was serious. Because I, I, can, I can replace almost everything in my life. I can replace my phone. I can replace my, my, my DVDs. I can even replace my wrestling figures. <laughs> At great cost, but I could replace them. If I lost this, I'd be devastated. And I mean, I would be absolutely devastated if I lost this church. I want you to love your Bibles. I want you to hold them in high Regard, you know, if you open your Bible about in the middle, you'll, you'll find the book of Psalms. And right in the middle of the Psalms, nearly is Psalm 119. And I, I want to encourage you, if, if I could encourage you to read anything this week, go and read Psalm 119. It's an incredible Psalm. It's the longest Psalm in the Bible. It's, it's the, but do you know what Psalm 119 is about? It's about the Bible. The longest Psalm in the whole Bible is about the Bible. 176 verses all about the Bible. I think God's saying it's a priority. And right in the middle, God says, or David says, sorry, how I love your law. I meditate, it on, I meditate on it all day long. Your commands are always with me. I take this with me. It's always with me. And it makes me wiser than my enemies. You know what? This book makes me better. This book makes me better. It's useful. It improves me. Paul says this, all scripture is inspired by God. You know, 40 people wrote it, but I think God held the pen. 
And he said it's useful to teach us what's true, to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong. It teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. It prepares me. The word of God makes me thoroughly equipped for my work, my marriage, my family, my relationships, my money, my decisions. It speaks to every part of my life and makes my life better. Church, can I ask you what your attitude is to the word of God? Is it just a book on your shelf? Or do you love it? And if you love something, you can trust it. You know, the Bible says this, the word of the Lord holds true. We can trust everything he does. So if if we're going to love the Bible, then we need to trust the Bible. You might not know this, but this book is historically accurate. There is nothing in this book that has been historically, uh, what's the word, unverified, if you like. It's an historically accurate book. Everything in this book is historically accurate. A book written over 1,600 years by 40 different people is historically accurate. There's archaeological confirmation. There's extra-biblical confirmation. Books other than the Bible have been written about things that happened in the Bible. It's scientifically accurate. There's nothing in here science has disproved. Nothing. Science has tried, and and it's still trying. In fact, in in 1861, the French Academy of Science, they released a book, and this, this was the title of the book, 51 Incontrovertible Scientific Facts That Prove the Bible is Wrong. That was the title of the book. All 51 arguments have now been controverted. That book's now in the archives. If you go to the Louvre in Paris, you'll find that book in the archives. It's an obsolete book. It's not relevant relevant anymore because science changes. Science evolves, but God doesn't. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do you know what? I'd say science is still catching up because God never changes. You can read stories of intelligent scientists, like incredibly intelligent scientists, People, they set out to disprove the Bible. They end up giving their lives to Jesus because they discover it's all true. Psalm 148 says this, Let every created thing give praise to the Lord, for he issued his command and they came into being. He set them in place forever and ever. His decree will never be revoked. God invented science. He invented the laws of physics, chemistry, biology. So we've got a book that's historically accurate, scientifically accurate, it's prophetically accurate. I just want to tell you a little bit about prophecy, because all through the Bibles there are predictions about the future. There are predictions about the future to to the writers in their time, and there's predictions about the future to us. And, And the thing with books that predict the future is it only takes one prediction or one prophecy to be wrong to cast doubt on the whole thing. (coughs) Excuse me. There was a a guy years ago, and I, I looked this up. He wrote a book 88 reasons why the book, why the world will end in 1988. That's a genuine book. He wrote it. 88 reasons why the world will end in 1988. Do you know what? Next year he wrote a follow-on book. I'm not lying. 89 reasons why the world will end in 1989. (laughs) He then wrote another book saying the rapture would would happen in 1993. Then he wrote another book saying, no, it's definitely going to happen in 1994. He died in 2001. And that's the problem. If you prophesy something, if you say something's going to happen, if you're wrong, everything's gone. 
you know there are over a thousand prophecies in the Bible? 300, over 300, about 360 of them are specifically about Jesus. And these are not just general prophetic things, you know, well, he'll have brown hair. He'll be a nice person. He'll have a beard. These are specific prophecies. Some of them are made 400 years before Jesus was born. You know, David prophesied about crucifixion before crucifixion. David prophesied that the, 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 the method of Jesus' death, David prophesied it before it had even been invented. Read Psalm 22. Can I tell you, every single prophecy in the Bible has come true, apart from the ones that haven't come true yet. And if they've all come true, I know what I'm putting my trust in. If the Bible's been right about everything else so far, then I trust it for everything else. There's a guy called Peter Stoner who, who studies probability, incredible mathematician. And he and his team, they looked at all the prophecies in the Bible regarding Jesus. And they looked at, okay, is this going to be possible? What, what's the probability of this actually happening? One person fulfilling all these prophecies. And they, they did some, some incredible maths on this. And they said this, that one person fulfilling eight prophecies is one in ten to the power of seventeen. That's a lot of zeros. That's the mathematical probability of one person fulfilling just eight prophecies. So let me explain that. If you have, a, you have 10, 10 P pieces and you, and you mark one of them, and you put them all in a bag, and you, you, you put the coins in the bag, and you, you stir them, and you say to someone, okay, I'm going to blindfold you, pick a coin out. Now they've got a one in 10 chance of pulling out that marked coin. If you take that same logic to this, You'd have that, you'd, if you had that many 10-piece coins, you would need a warehouse the size of Texas to hold them. And it wouldn't just be one coin on the floor. You'd have multiple layers of coins in this warehouse the size of Texas. You took one of those pieces, you mark it, you throw it back into this warehouse the size of Texas, you blindfold a guy, say, right, find the coin. That's the probability of one person fulfilling just eight prophecies. If you do that for 16 prophecies, it's 1 in 10 to the power of 45. If you do it for 48 prophecies, it's 1 in 10 to the power of 157. Jesus fulfilled 340-something prophecies. They stopped counting. Genuinely, if you read the, the scientific report, they said, listen, we just can't get there. Because the probability is so massive. Peter says this, no prophecy in scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding. People just didn't make this up. These people were moved by the Holy Spirit. They spoke from God. It has to be God. It has to be God. There's no human explanation. In fact, the professor went on and said this, that any man who rejects Christ as the Son of God is rejecting a fact proved perhaps more absolutely than any other fact in the world. Church, we can trust the Bible. I don't know if you've ever heard of the French philosopher Voltaire. He lived in the 18th century. He, he said this, he, he wrote this down. Within 100 years, the Bible will be forgotten. We're 100 years on now, and the only thing forgotten is that quote. What's, what's funny is when he died, the French Bible Society bought his house. So for the next 50 years after his death, 
It was the headquarters for the French Bible Society. The grass withers, the flowers fail, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Church, can I tell you, this book will change your life. It'll change your life if you allow it to. We can't force you. But if I can, if I can beg you to do one thing this year is get into the Bible. Because actually everything else will follow. Love the word of God. Trust it. Welcome it into your life. Paul said this to the church in Thessalonica. He said, we never stop thanking God that when you received his message from us, you didn't think of our words as mere human ideas. You accepted what we said as the very word of God. That word accepted, it's the Greek word dekamai. And it means to, to welcome as if you're welcoming a guest. And so the, the concept here is, is, you know, when a guest comes to your house, you open the door wide and you say, hey, I'm so glad you're here. Come on in. I've prepared for you to come. We welcome the word of God into our lives. Church, we need to learn the word of God. We need to listen to God's word. We need to read God's word. We need to breathe it in. Do you know what? If this, if this is going to be the greatest spiritual year of our lives, if this is going to be the great, greatest faith year of our lives, then what happens? Faith comes by hearing. By hearing the word of God or the good news about Christ. Can I tell you, if you want to grow your faith, if you want to grow yourself, learn God's word. Learn the promises God speaks over you. Learn what God says about certain things. That's, do you know that's why we do memory verses in All Stars? It's not just a fun game. There's a purpose to it because we are, we are giving them the word of God. They're learning the word of God. They're internalizing it so that they, like Paul says, won't be tossed about and blown by every wind of new teaching. So that they won't be influenced when people try to trick them with lies so clever they sound like the truth. So that our children will speak the truth in love. Church, can I encourage you, if you want to grow your faith, get into God's word. Get into the Bible. However that works for you, you might want to set aside a specific time in the day. You might want to do a morning. You might want to do an afternoon. You might want to do an evening. You might say, okay, I'm going to read the Bible in a year. Maybe get a Bible reading plan. Listen to messages. Listen to other preachers. And I mean that. I'm not offended if you, if you go and listen to other preachers. It's okay. You know, every Sunday we, we have dinner... Obviously, every Sunday we have dinner. Um, but, but Hannah cooks, I do the washing up. Hannah cooks because she's a brilliant cook. I do the washing up because Hannah's a brilliant cook. Um, and, and I'll do the washing up. But do you know what I'm doing? When I'm doing the washing up, I've got a live stream of a service going on that I'm watching while I'm doing the washing up. Because I love the word. I love hearing the word, and, and it feeds me. You know, sometimes we can give out on a Sunday morning. So my, my receiving time is I'm doing the washing up and I've got a service going on where I'm listening to someone else unpacking the word of God. I love it. It's my, it's my happy moment as I'm scrubbing pans. So I've got the word of God coming into my life. Maybe you need to study God's word more. We do do Bible studies uh, Wednesday morning, Wednesday evening. You're more than welcome. It's not deep. It's not overcomplicated. You know, the old word was the old, when someone said we do a deep Bible study, it basically meant no one could understand it. But what I hope we do in our Bible studies is we unpack the Bible in a way people can understand. Actually, we unpack it in a way that's going to impact our lives and move us 
forward. We've got, if you, if you email us, we've got reams of Bible study notes. We've done book after book after book. Um, they're available if you want them. There's an incredible method called Havarim, which I know the Pays guys are going to be teaching uh, in, the, in the youth space. Havarim is an incredible method of reading the Bible because it, it teaches you not just to read the Bible, but to allow the Bible to read you, which is really, really important. Can I, can I say as well, if you're here and you haven't got a Bible, please take one. They're at the back. They're free. We're not going to charge you. If you haven't got a Bible today, you, maybe you can't afford one, or you just don't have one, take one. We've paid for it, but we want you to love the Word of God. I'm going to invite Rob back up. We need to love the Word of God. We need to learn the Word of God. But most importantly, we need to live it. We need to live the word of God. Jesus said this, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. You know, in that parable, the storm hits both houses. But it's the house that's built on solid rock that stands. Storms will hit all of us. It, I could read this all day, every day for the rest of my life, and storms will still hit me. But it's our foundations that determine how the storm affects us. Jesus says in another place, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Listen to God's word and live by it. Psalm 119 says this, how can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. Live the word of God. David says, I've tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. Love the word of God. Stay faithful to it. Don't wander from it. Don't try and change it. He says, I've hidden your word in my heart. Learn the word so that I might not sin against you. Last thing, in Deuteronomy, there's a, there's a Jewish, incredible Jewish prayer called the Shema. And Deuteronomy is, is essentially the law of Moses where it's all kind of laid out. But before the Shema, it says this. There's this incredible prayer. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And then it goes on to say this. These commandments that I give you today, they're to be on your hearts. This word it's to be on your hearts. Impress it on your children. Talk about it when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get out. Tie it as symbols on your hands. Bind them as door on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Take them with you. These words, make them part of your life. Love them. Live them. Follow them. When we pray, just where you are, that we just make a commitment today to live in God's word, to go deeper into his word, to love his word, to learn it, to take it with us, to allow it to speak into our lives, to allow it to change us, allow it to challenge us, allow it to push us forward. So, Father God, we thank you for your word. It is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. 
Father God, thank you for the freedom that we have to own our own Bibles. The freedom we have to read and to study your word publicly. God, never allow us to take that for granted. God, help us to make the Bible more of a priority in our lives. Help us to dig deeper into your word. Father God, we accept the Bible as God breathed, God inspired, your flawless word to us, and we will make it the final authority in our lives. Even when we don't understand it, even when it's not easy, and even when it's not popular, we make this word our foundation. Thank you, God, for loving us enough to give us your word. Help us to love it. Help us to learn it. Help us to live it. We do this with your help, with your guidance, and with your grace. And all God's people said, Amen. When we stand, we're going to sing together. God, I look to you. I won't be yours.